Hi, and welcome back to CI Diaries. I am Carrie Toth. I am a Spanish teacher in rural Southern Illinois, and I'm in my 30th year teaching. And today I want to talk to you about disrupting our routine. As teachers, I think we tend to like routines. It's really nice to be able to go back and do things that we're familiar with and to embrace activities that we're familiar with. But also, I think having while having routines is not entirely bad. I think having routines can also sometimes stop us from trying new things and being more creative and really paying attention to the students that are in front of us. And so that's what I'd like to talk about today. The why, the when, the how of changing our routine and also the payoff at the end when the routine has been changed. So let's talk about the why. When I was a first year teacher, I was lucky enough. Of course, there were teachers that went to the teacher's lounge and talked about retiring and complained about the job and how ready they were to be done. That's not what a new teacher needs to hear. I had a friend who was about seven years older than me. So in her seventh year teaching during my fifth year, first year, and she said, you don't want to be that teacher that writes out a lesson plan book on the first year of teaching and then gets it out and reteaches the same year for 35 years. Because in Illinois, we have to teach for 35 years. And that is a really long time. And I'm so glad that she said that because at the time, I thought that sounded, you know, getting through a year and seeing what worked and making a lesson plan book that I could go back to all of the time <laughs> sounded like the right thing to do. But students have changed. And if our lessons don't change, then sometimes we start to think that the kids these days just don't like school or kids these days just aren't like the ones from 1994 in my first year. And they're not. But that's because they just need to be reached in a little bit different way. So the why is so that we can connect with our students. But keep in mind that Changing your routine doesn't mean that you have to change everything. I keep my lesson plan books. I do have plan books from years past, and I pull them out and I look at them to see what we've done. But I do that in a context of having a lot of lessons that are available to me that I can pull in depending on the kids that I'm teaching that year. And so I would like to encourage you to do that. So there's our why. Let's think about are when. When do we do it? <laughs> when do we change something that is a routine that we've established or that's a lesson that we've just taught over and over every year? I think there are several times that are indicators that this is a when. This is one of those times when I need to make some changes. So example number one, <laughs> You start a lesson with your students and they just don't seem to be engaged in the content. Now, let me preface this by saying, if you're teaching content that you're not passionate about, that may have a role in why students are not passionate about it. So I would encourage you, whatever you can do, if you're in a department where you're required to teach certain material, I would encourage you to find ways to teach the required material as you're supposed to. I don't want you to buck that system and get into trouble because we don't all have complete freedom over what we teach. 
But also, how can you find ways to maybe pull out some things that you think aren't as necessary in that unit and include some things that could perform the same function, yet would be more engaging to students and to you yourself? That said, if you're teaching something, like let's say it's household chores because it's required by your department and the kids just are not engaged in that, um, this is a when moment. They don't have to talk about household chores other than on some kind of a department final assessment. Like in real life, there are rare times that they'll be traveling or that they'll be studying abroad that they will have to list all the household chores they do. That's not to say that the vocabulary in that unit is completely useless because wash and clean and take out, those are important words. But we don't have to go a three-week unit using that set of vocabulary when we could do some other type of unit and just make sure we work those words in at other times. So how could you take a unit, like this is our when, I'm going to pull out this unit. I'm going to make sure through this year that I teach them how to say clean things and wash things and, and take out things like take out your books, they can then learn take out the trash really easy because they already know sacar uh, in Spanish. And I'm sure, I hope it's the same in French to take out your book and to take out the trash. Uh, but there's some overlap there. So we can totally embrace that overlap and incorporate those words somewhere else. That unit used to take me three weeks to get through. So this opens up a three-week block for me that I can put in something more engaging because my students showed me, obviously they told me all they have to do is crush the cans. So they, they're not engaged in these household chores. So there's a when, when I can look at my plan book and say, hey, this has been my routine every year I've taught this. I'm just feeling like this is not the best fit for my students. So then I go out and I start to try and find things. A lot of people can make up things on their own. Um, maybe you found a, a little film clip that you really liked and you want to use it in class. A lot of people also don't have time to make all that stuff on their own. I'm currently 30 years into teaching, so I have a 26-year-old and an 18-year-old who's away at college. I have lots of time to create resources, but my friend who teaches English at school has a five-year-old and a two-year-old. She does not have time to create a lot of resources. Her time is consumed by taking care of small children. Don't feel bad. If you don't have time, there are lots of teachers who are in a position like me where we've been at it a long time and we're creating resources. There are lots of things just out on the internet for free. There are lots of places you can go to buy resources, but look around and find something that you can slide into that spot. If you're not getting a lot of teacher training, I feel like being in rural Southern Illinois has given me this sense of isolation because in our school district, it's rare to have more than one language teacher. I actually teach right now in a district of 700 students. And so we have two Spanish teachers and one uh, kind of overflow teacher who teaches one class of Spanish. And so we, we have like this booming Spanish program uh, because of the size of our district, but around here, that's not common. A lot of schools can't even find a language teacher. And so 
when you think about this, that means that teachers in small districts can feel isolated and feel like they don't really have anywhere to go to learn new things. I spent about the first 18 years of my career that way. I didn't feel like I needed to go to conferences because I was pretty confident teaching those same lessons uh, that I taught. I did try to change it year by year to add new activities that I might have, you know, come up with in the classroom, uh, new games that I saw somebody else playing that I wanted to play with my students. But I never really got out to language conferences where I was going to see people do research-based changes in language practice until I was about 18 years in, so 12 years ago. So if you <laughs> if you are early in your career and you're already going to language conferences and already incorporating new activities, give yourself a pat on the back. You're so far ahead of where I was. I was just living. I actually thought like we have ICTFL, the Illinois Council on Language Teaching. Uh, I, I actually thought that ACTFL, ACTFL, the National Language Teaching Organization, I thought that was just a building that did like political stuff. I didn't realize there was a conference, there was a place to go meet with educators from around the world. I just was so insulated in my little rural community. So I would encourage you Talk to your school district. You never know. Maybe they do have some funding to send you to a conference. And if they don't, now that we're post-pandemic, so many people are doing online offerings for training. And so you can find little workshops. Maybe I even have a couple sessions on my YouTube channel that are free where you can go watch trainings from home and you don't have to pay the extra for the travel and hotel, which really conference fees aren't the problem for most people. It's getting to the conference and staying at the conference that can be bank breaking. <clears throat> also, while you're thinking about it, I would suggest maybe starting a little side savings if you can, if you have just a little bit extra uh, to put away every month. Try to save up to go to one of the bigger conferences that you've been interested in. Fluency Matters Conference is coming in Denver in July. So if you could put a little extra away for that, or even if you can't make it this year, starting a savings for the 2025 conference or to Actful. Uh, if you can get to Actful, that would be an amazing conference to attend as well. Anyway, uh, you want to get to sessions that help give you ideas for things to put in when you have run out of things to do in your classroom. One of the sessions I went to at Actful this year was presented by AC Quintero and Kia London. They are two amazing teachers from the Chicagoland area in Illinois, uh, both actually in the city of Chicago. They were presenting about how to diversify the units that you do and going in and seeing the ways that they added diversity to lessons helped me expand my thinking on how I, you maybe don't have to completely reinvent the wheel. Maybe you just need to change the lens that you're looking at the lesson from. And so it was a really powerful session to me and I'm glad that I got to attend it. There have been times when I've been to sessions that were about brain breaks and incorporating them in your classroom or about classroom games and activities. And they were all things that I took back to my room to help me look at that planner and think next year doesn't have to be the same as this year. Diane Neubauer is a Chinese instructor. She did a session at the Fluency Matters Conference a couple of years ago that talked about how to organize all these thoughts, how, you know, put down the new 
activities that are to reinforce vocabulary. Put down the new activities that are meant to reinforce communication so that you have a list in front of you where you can go as you're sitting with your planner and say, oh, I haven't done this in a while. Let me bring that in. I thought that was a great idea. And it's something I carried away from a conference. So a good when is any time. Anytime you find a place in your planner that you think, this is getting a little stale, how can I update it? That's the place to make a little change, to disrupt your routine, um, to step outside of what you used to do. Another big when for me is depending on the students in your room. I have had years where I've had two sections of Spanish four. I've had years where I have one section of Spanish four. It just depends on the shakedown. Right now, I have one section of Spanish 4, and this section of Spanish 4 has a really broad uh, spread of proficiency levels. And so I was a little concerned starting the year about how this group would do with the content that we normally do in Spanish 4. And so just looking at the students was the when for me. So what I did was go back to some units that I've done in the past that I know are highly engaging and that I know students will be successful with because that was the vibe I wanted to send at the beginning of the year to these Spanish fours. You made a choice to stick this out with me. I'm making a choice to make this something you feel confident doing. So I added back in a unit on supernatural stories that I haven't done in a couple of years probably not since pre-pandemic. I just felt like I had so much catching up to do. I didn't have time. They enjoyed that unit so much and they were able to talk so well about the things that we learned in that unit. And so I feel like that was an important shift. And now we've had a semester of this kind of confidence building, old favorite units that I've pulled back in. And I'm ready to dive back into some of the units that we would normally do in a Spanish four class. And I feel like they are also maybe readier than ever to dive into those units because I did so much focusing on their proficiency and on their comprehension at the beginning. So how, how do we do this? How do we take what we used to do and suddenly make it into something different? Well, first of all, I would say stop just directly copying the plan book from last year into this year. As you're copying it, stop and ask yourself, well, actually, let's reroute. Let's say this year is kind of the end of the year is your trial year. If this sounds like something you want to do, you really want to disrupt routine. As you go through the second semester, when you do an activity, jot yourself a note in the plan book is it well-received by the group of students? Was it just one group? Because we all have, my third hour is so quiet. They don't receive things the same way fifth and then eighth hour do. It's actually like steam building through the day. Third hour doesn't receive things as well as fifth and fifth hour doesn't receive things as well as eighth. Eighth really just responds over the top to everything and third really underwhelmed by everything. So I can't say that an activity isn't a success because third hour is quiet about it. It's more about overall, did that activity seem to help build proficiency? Was everybody pretty content doing it? <laughs> if they don't complain, trust me, they know how to complain. So if they complain a lot about it, I jot myself a note down. 
I'm going to give you an example. I bought these, I'm addicted to Timu. I should not be because it's all junk, but I am addicted to Timu for my classroom. Uh, All kinds of little stickers. They have stickers galore and they're cheap. But I saw these little like shooter things, little slingshots, and they had a little poop emoji. And I'm a child, so poop humor makes me laugh. So I thought I would invent a game called poop shoot. And they would have to answer a question. And if they did, they could try to shoot their little poop emoji at these targets. And if they landed on the target, they would get that many points. But the first time that we played, zero people hit the target. So it got a lot of complaints in third hour and in fifth hour. But then eighth hour, who's always like my little sunshine at the end of the day, eighth hour said, you know what? If you put out your big hula hoops and we got one point for making it in the hula hoop and like two points for hitting it on because I made the targets on paper, two points for hitting it on the paper or the points in the circle, then it wouldn't be as disappointing because we would be getting points. It just might not be the points in the circle. And the second time we played, it went so much better because it wasn't a zero score game. Although the zero score game did garner a lot of jokes and it became kind of this lasting thing about how not, you know, not every game is the best game that we can do. So I would say the how is to make yourself some notes of places where things were a little rocky this year. And then next year, when you do, because I pull out my plan book, I want to see where were we last year? What were we doing? Um, Get ideas, because sometimes I'll have a really great idea for a game and I'll do it that year. But then by the next year, I've totally forgotten that I had a great idea. And sometimes if I'm really on the ball, I'll even like clip the questions that I made for the game into my plan book. So this year, if I want to reuse it because it was successful, I could just pop those questions out and put them into my new plan book. But I have to go through that plan book and I have to decide which things were great and which things are a place that, you know, maybe I could swap something else. Also, look at that plan book as you do it with an eye for the kids in front of you. During National Board, and I've said this in other places, so if this is not the first time you've heard it, I apologize. I didn't pass National Board the first time. And the reason is fully because I didn't understand how to teach to the students that I had. I was teaching to like the ideal of what a student should be. And whoever couldn't live up to that ideal didn't pass. But the truth is, if we want to keep people involved in language instruction, we have to teach to who we've got. And so... I've started really trying to teach things that I think will be received well by those students. And so another how is you think about what units you have available to you. Okay, so you have to get through units seven, eight, and nine in the textbook, or you have to get through the unit on plastics in the ocean and the unit on healthcare and the unit on recipes. Ask the students what they're most interested in. Like, let them feel like they have a say in picking what the next unit is. It's totally a mind trick, but it is a way to get our students on board and to get them interested in the unit because they kind of feel like they picked it, even though it was a unit that we already had in our collection of things that we might be going to teach. And then we look at the payoff. When we really stop and we think about who's in class in front of us, and when we think about what their interests are, and especially about what their skills and abilities are, it helps them feel like we care and like 
We want them to be successful. And even I'll dare to say it makes them feel like they are successful language learners. I'm thinking about my Spanish four right now. So I told you at the beginning of the year, I had some concerns about what I was going to be able to present to them one week ago today. So I, I just, I babied them through, helped give them confidence. One week ago today, we got a new student and our student is a newcomer from Mexico. She is a lovely little girl who speaks absolutely no English. And she's in a school in rural Southern Illinois where her teachers don't speak Spanish. And so she's been a little terrified. And my Spanish four has adopted her. They take her to lunch every day. Uh, they come around her and they talk to her in their Spanish. She is learning to talk to them a little bit in her brand new English. It is the best thing I've ever seen my students do. They feel so confident. And I know it's because we spent that first semester just building up our confidence and our ability to understand and to speak Spanish. And so having this, this opportunity to embrace somebody besides me who speaks Spanish and to feel confident understanding and to feel confident communicating a message, that's the payoff at the end of all of this. These are kids who might have, you know, I, I definitely have a handful in this class that in my old ways, when I was not teaching to the students, when I was teaching to the techs, they wouldn't have made it past the first semester of Spanish one because they either struggle with spelling, uh, struggle with memorization. It has taken them all the way to Spanish four just to finally click into the novice high level. But you know what? Every one of them is showing more progress this year. They're showing continued growth this year. So even though they may not be at superstar status, and I do have a handful in that class that are at superstar status who will get awards from the state, from the Global Seal of Biliteracy, they'll be decorated students. But I don't want that to take away from the student who last year was struggling to get out novice mid utterances. And this year is solidly novice high. Like through that first semester, her production has come solidly up to novice high. That's an accomplishment. That gives her confidence. And honestly, if she travels in the future, she'll have some Spanish that she can use. Uh, this is stuff that if I can get her to intermediate low, intermediates can actually continue to learn even beyond the classroom. And so I'm giving her something that she can take away for a lifetime if I can help her reach that level this year. I don't know if it will happen, but we're doing everything we can to try. So I would just encourage you, as you go through this second semester, think about disrupting that routine. Think about finding places in the curriculum you can pull things out to put in things that will help your students be more proficient or help them feel more confident or help you feel more engaged. And I'd love to hear what you find. I thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode with me. And I can't wait to share on the next episode with a teacher friend of mine. We are going to talk about how you can recycle the same lesson and use it across all four levels of your curriculum. So it makes your planning so much easier if everybody is talking about the same things. So I will see you again soon. Thank you for watching. Bye-bye.